We're going to be spending some time in the book of John over the next few weeks. And uh, as we do that, we'll be uh, seeking to answer this question that are, incidentally are the first red letters in the Gospel of John. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that uh, about verse 35 or so, somewhere in there, Jesus asks this question to a couple of people who had started following. He says, what do you want? What do you want? Or what are you seeking? What are you after? What are you, what are you pursuing right now? So we talked about that last week, and, uh, and, and the response to that question uh, wasn't what they were actually seeking. They said, well, we want to know where you're staying. I'm pretty sure that they didn't just want to know where they were staying. They didn't want to just know more about Jesus. They had a hunger and a thirst to actually know Jesus, to come into communion with him and spend some time with him. And then we see them going and sharing that news, that they had found the Messiah. And when they get that question, like, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? You hear it again. Come and see. Come and see. Not an argument, not a sales pitch, an invitation. An invitation to come and to see. And we're all seeking something. We're all seeking something at the big level, in the big picture of our lives. Maybe it's more stability and security. Maybe it's uh, a new employment situation. Maybe it's a new housing situation. Uh, Maybe we're seeking someone to bring into our lives. Whatever it is that we're seeking, we have an opportunity to seek it in Christ and with Christ. And so today we're going to look at a story that comes in John chapter 3. And it's a story of a man who was seeking something, who was seeking some understanding. He was seeking some answers to some questions. The man's name is Nicodemus. And you might be familiar with the story that takes up most of the first half or a little over the first half of John chapter 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's got some questions and he's looking for some answers and he's seeking to understand. And so he comes to see Jesus Literally, but figuratively, Nicodemus comes to see everything. He comes to see everything in a new light. He has a paradigm-shifting moment with Jesus in the words that we're going to read this morning. And we see him pop up several more times in the Gospel of John. And we'll look towards the end of the service and see some evidence of the ongoing transformation that takes place in his life. Before we read those scriptures, though, I want to... uh, to share a quote from C.S. Lewis, it's one of my favorite of his, which is kind of like I've probably got a dozen or more on my top five. You know, that's C.S. Lewis. He, he writes and he words things and he crafts things with such power and precision. And he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That by his experience in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he sees everything else. It's a paradigm shifting. It's a new lens. If you've ever had an old prescription in your glasses, it, your, your eyes are changing slowly over time, right? And so you don't even realize necessarily that things are getting blurry until it gets pretty bad. And then you go to get a new prescription and you see things through a new lens. And you see, oh my gosh, that's Jack and Janine. I thought it was just a blue shirt and a black and white shirt because I couldn't see it before. But now that I have a new lens, I can see and I can see things more clearly and I can see things with precision. And that's what happens to Nicodemus. He sees things in a new way and in a new light. 
So I want to read John chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 21. I mentioned last week we'll have longer narrative sections in each of the messages. And we'll really read longer chunks of scripture. And then we'll work through them and we'll focus in on a few key themes that present themselves. So if you were here last week, you know we read most of the of the first chapter of John. Since then, Jesus has gone and done his first public miracle in John's gospel, where he turns uh, the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And then he goes and he drives out the money handlers and the money changers uh, in the temple area. And um, he does many miraculous signs and wonders, we're told, towards the end of chapter 2. So that's kind of where we pick things up here as Nicodemus comes to see him. So uh, read along with me in in your Bible or on a, a digital device that has scripture or something like that. I'm reading from the New International Version, which is the same that's in, uh, in your pews in page 1649. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs and wonders you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. But Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify that we have what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world... But men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come to see the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light that has come into the world. We thank you. For Jesus, the light of the world, who came that we might see who you are, how much you love us, and what you desire for us. We pray now, Lord, as we look into your word, as we seek to 
understand what it means and apply it to our lives, that you would give us your spirit to guide us into all the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So I kind of want to work back through this, and I want to just highlight a few things that might be of some importance and, and dig in deep in a couple of areas so that we're sure we understand all this. I think it's interesting that Nicodemus is identified as a Pharisee, which means he would have brought, been brought up in the strictest educational uh, group, and he would have known, he would have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Um, as he would have gone through that, he would be able to teach and, and admonish and encourage and instruct people in the laws of God, in the word of God. And he had spiritual authority, but we're also told that he uh, was a ruler of the Jews or a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were those that also had political authority over the Jewish people. And interestingly enough, they still had that authority under the Roman authority. So Romans were occupying Jerusalem, occupying the land of Israel, and they kind of set things up. They were the ultimate authority. Beneath them were the Sanhedrin that had uh, authority over the Jewish people, but it was subject to that Roman authority. So he comes to Jesus, and uh, we're told in verse 2, he comes at night. And I told you last week, there's this, there's this interplay between light and darkness. And it's more than just literal light and literal darkness. It begins in the very first words of, of John's gospel, and it carries through to the end. And he says things like, the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so there's this interplay between dark and light. And Jesus has been performing these miracles out in the light where people are seeing it. And now Nicodemus is coming to him uh, at night, coming to him, maybe representing some spiritual darkness that is in his life. Now, scholars have debated, does he come at night because he doesn't want to be seen? Or does he come at night because uh, he doesn't want it to be a public conversation? Does he come at night just because that's when he had time and he would get Jesus for some uninterrupted time? We're not 100% sure why he chose to come at night. Maybe he was a delegate of a larger group and he was going to Jesus to talk to them and coming back. Some of the language he uses and some of the, the, the pronouns that are used in the original language talk about you as a singular and you as a plural. So there's some reasons that we might uh, think that. We're not 100% sure, but we do know that he comes and uh, we believe that his intentions are pure. We believe that he is not there to cause trouble, that he is there to really gain an understanding of something he does not understand. He comes to Jesus and he has some questions. And he addresses, his, addresses Jesus as rabbi, which is a sign of, of great respect to address him as a rabbi. Rabbis were those that had spiritual authority. So he comes to him and he speaks to him and he addresses him as somebody who has some spiritual authority. And that's significant, especially because they'll talk about Jesus and how he doesn't have the formal educational training that he probably ought to have in order to receive this title, but he's still being regarded in that way. And all those things aside, our bottom line today, I'm going to give it to you early and then we're going to come back to it at the end as well, is is that when we look at Nicodemus and we look at ourselves and we look at the people around us, that you come to Jesus is far more important than how you come to Jesus. And so while we could debate all the different reasons that Nicodemus came when he did or how he did, it's really important to understand that he came to Jesus. He came seeking Jesus. And that you come to Jesus is far more important than how you come to Jesus. That you bring people to Jesus 
matters, that you introduce people to Jesus, whether they come because it's a car show and then they come back the next week or whether they come because you befriend them, you invest in a relationship with them, you begin to share your faith and, and invite them to come and see. However we get people to come and see and however we get ourselves to come and see Jesus is, is, is more important than the specific tactics that we use. We must be coming to Jesus. And we need to come to Jesus every single day. We talked about that last week, right? If you were here last week, we talked about how to make a pickle, right? How many of you remember that? How many of you have thought of that a time or two when you were looking at pickles or using pickles on on hot dogs or something like that? Because we talked about it. It's not just that you, you put the cucumber in the vinegar and the salt and suddenly you have a pickle. You have to spend time there. You have to spend time there and go through heat and pressure with Jesus through the trials and the difficulties of life. And there are many in our congregation that are in trials and difficulties right now. And if you go through those trials and difficulties with Jesus, it's a totally different experience. And there are things about Jesus that are getting into you and into your soul, just like the brine that you put that cucumber in gets into the cucumber and transforms it into a pickle. And there are people all across our nation that are going through difficulties and around our world that are going through difficulties and there's persecution and there's hurricanes and there are all sorts of different things. And if we go to Jesus in the midst of those and we keep Jesus in the middle of those, then we're transformed and we become more and more like him instead of allowing the enemy to push Jesus out of us through those difficult experiences. We stay in him. We stay in him. And then we get this conversation in verses 3 through 5 between Jesus and Nicodemus where they're talking about rebirth and they're talking about water and spirit and and it's hard to understand. Uh, It's even hard for Nicodemus, this wise teacher of Israel. He says, uh, you know, and I also have to laugh at this. We talked about last week, you know, how the the people that were coming after Jesus and, and they said, you know, he asked them, what are you seeking? They said, where are you staying? That wasn't really the question that they were there to ask. And Jesus cuts to the quick with Nicodemus, too. Nicodemus addresses him as rabbi, shows respect, and Jesus says, let's cut to the quick. Let's dispense with the platitudes. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Nicodemus hasn't even gotten into the conversation. Jesus has supernatural wisdom, supernatural insight, and takes the conversation where it needs to go immediately. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. So obviously Jesus is talking about figurative language, this rebirth, this new life that begins within us. And so Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now, interestingly enough, he's referring to something that, that Nicodemus really should have understood as a teacher of Israel. He's referring to a prophecy that is contained in the book of Ezekiel. And I want to take you there, and we can read that together, because as you read it, you'll understand a little bit more of what Jesus was getting at when he talks about being born of the water and born of the Spirit. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28, it's on page 1345 if you've got one of our pew Bibles, You read this prophecy that God spoke to the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. So there, in verse 25, he talks about the rebirth of the water that cleanses us, that washes us clean, and the new spirit that God is going to put in us, a new life that comes into us. Paul talks about this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The heart of stone, the the fleshly heart, has has been replaced with the heart that beats for God, the heart that follows after God's spirit. And so there's an internal transformation that starts to take place, and then it manifests itself externally. It happens in us first, and then it happens through us. See, it's, it's come and see, come and see Jesus, come and be transformed in his presence, and it's go and be. It's come and see Jesus and be changed, be reborn, be renewed in our personal relationship with him. And then we join hands with him. We link arms with him. We join his mission in this world and we go out into the world to be ambassadors for Christ on his behalf. We come and see, then we go and be. It's not either or, it's both and. It's attractional, come and see, and it's missional, that we go out and serve. So, so we have events like the picnic and the car show where we tell people, come and see, come and see. But we also go out into the community and we serve and we go to lunches served and we go to St. Francis House and, and our youth group, they go out on the last Wednesday of the month several times a year and they go into places and they serve and they go and they be. And each of us in our relationship with Jesus Christ, for me, it starts in the morning. It starts in the morning as I come and see and I spend time in his word and I spend time in prayer and I spend time in my journal. I spend time internally, one-on-one with Jesus. And then I go and try to be Jesus in the world around me. And that's the rhythm of life with Christ that, that we're intended to have. And so we come to church on Sunday. We come and we see and we sing, sing, sing his praises. And we spend time together in fellowship and in discipleship and in learning. And then we go and be. And this is the equipping for the going and being. And there's a rhythm that we come and see and then we go and we be. And we see Jesus talking about this internal transformation that we become born again we become a new creation in Christ so that we can go and be his people here on earth and we talked last week about the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done that the kingdom of God is where God's will is done. And if it's done in our lives, then we take the kingdom wherever we go. Whether you're a school teacher or a doctor or a nurse or a mechanic, wherever you go, you can bring the kingdom of God into that place simply by doing the will of God, knowing the will of God and doing the will of God. And, and so Jesus gets into this here. And it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, we don't hear a lot about the kingdom of God. It only occurs here, that phrase only occurs here, even though it occurs 85 times in the other three Gospels combined, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And so it's not because it's de-emphasized, it's because Jesus is focusing in on the language that Nicodemus will understand. He's focusing in on the language that Nicodemus will understand. If you want to see and you want to enter the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be reborn. You're going to have to have that paradigm shift. You're going to have to see things in a new light. You're going to have to have a personal relationship and a personal experience and an encounter with me. And it's always so that others will come as well. 
Even in Ezekiel, in the prophecy that we read, a few verses later at the end of chapter 36 and then in chapter 37, there's both these phrases, so that the nations will know, so that the world will know, so that the world around us will see that there is a God in Israel and that hope comes through him, that salvation comes through him. We probably need to move on here a little bit. I could talk about the kingdom of God all day and talk about what Jesus is getting into here. I wonder if you noticed in verse 12, he says, I've talked to you and I have told you about earthly things and you do not understand them. How will I then speak to you about heavenly things? And I I hadn't planned that, but as I was reading through that and studying that, I was like, man, we just came out of a series talking about being so heavenly minded that we can't help but do earthly good. And that Jesus wants wants to influence this earth through us. Through his people. And Jesus is the perfect life for guide, or I'm sorry, the perfect guide for life here on earth and also in heaven. That we come to see Jesus and by seeing him, we see everything else differently. We see the world around us differently. We pray prayers like, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Break my heart for what breaks your heart. Help me to see the needs around me so that I can respond to them. In verse 14, he references his, his death and his resurrection when he references the snake on the pole. And, and if you haven't read your Old Testament recently, you know he's referring to a, a situation in, in the Old Testament as they were going through the wilderness. They were besieged by snakes, and there were snakes all over and all around. And, and Moses, yeah, you know, some of you are shaking your heads. You're like, I hate snakes. I don't want anything to do with snakes, right? And... Uh, and it's interesting because Moses is told, put a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up, and anyone who looks up at it will be saved. And I never really got it until I realized that the last place I want to look when there are snakes at my feet is up, right? I want to look down here. I want to make sure that the snakes aren't getting me. I want to make sure that I'm steering clear of them or that I got a, you know, an implement of some sort in my hand to dispatch the snake with extreme prejudice. But, but God says, don't do that. Look up. Look at me. And I think there's a lesson there for the trials and the difficulties that we go through in life. That if we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, if we do that, then we'll find new strength, and we'll find new perseverance, and we'll find new ability to run the race that's been set before us. The author of Hebrews is talking about in that passage. That we need to keep our eyes up. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He continues. He continues as he talks about the most, the most famous verse in all of Scripture. That, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that was another paradigm shifting moment for Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus would have grown up saying God so loves the Jews. God so loves Israel. God so loves Israel that he's going to send us a Messiah to save Israel. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Israel is, is, yes, Israel is a part of the world that God loves. But God so loves the whole world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a paradigm shift. And so over and over we see Nicodemus getting these paradigm-shifting ideas, these paradigm-shifting thoughts, these illustrations that don't fit in the box that he had put around God. And often we talk about, you know, taking God out of the box. I don't know about you, but I find that I'm guilty sometimes of taking God out of one box and putting him in an only slightly larger box rather than keeping him out of the box altogether. 
And Nicodemus has an opportunity here. He has a decision to make. He said, am I going to get a slightly bigger box and put God in that? Or am I going to take God out of the box completely? I'm going to let the paradigm be shifted. And it's almost as if Jesus senses this because he goes right to the heart of it in verses 19 through 21. In verses 19 through 21, he says, this is the verdict. All right, you want answers? You want to understand? Here, I'm going to make it, I'm going to spell it out. Here's the verdict. Here's what's going on, and here's what's going to continue to go on. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he does has been done through God. Jesus is saying, light has come into the world. Other places in scripture, he identifies himself as the light of the world. In John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. And he talks about truth here. And he's also identifying himself later in the gospel of John as the truth. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That he embodies light. He embodies truth in the very person of who he is. And he says, you must allow that light to shine into every corner of your life. You must allow that light to come into every part of your life. Not just, not just kind of specify it or direct it where you want it to go. Or say, you know, I'm struggling over here. I'd really like some of the light of Jesus into this area. But this part over here, Jesus, you just need to stay away from that for a little while. That's loving the darkness more than loving the light. That's, that's saying there's some bad things growing over here in the dark. And I don't even want to think about them. So I'm just going to focus on letting Jesus in over here instead of letting him in over here as well because bad things grow in the dark. Things like pride and deceit and the enemy's lies and dysfunction of all kinds. But like the song we sang right before here, what joy, what peace for those whose hope is in the name of the Lord, for those whose confidence is in him alone. And when we let Jesus into every corner of our lives, into every part of our lives, then his light and his truth come into every corner of our lives and we put our hope and our confidence in him because that you come to see Jesus is far more important than how you come to see Jesus right Wiersbe points out that Nicodemus was a man of high moral character he was a ruler he had spiritual authority he had uh, religious authority he had political authority yet he had profound spiritual blindness and it wasn't until he came to see Jesus however he needed to come to see Jesus, that he began to see in a new light, that he began to understand some really important things about his life and about life in general and about Jesus and the part that Jesus wants to play in him and through him. In fact, we have some evidence in the remainder of the gospel here that we don't have time to look at specifically, but there's evidence that Nicodemus began to see things differently, that Nicodemus becomes a follower of Christ. In John chapter 7, verses 50 through 52, we see him standing up for Jesus when the, the Sanhedrin and uh, the Pharisees, and they're duking it out, and they're trying to decide what to do with him. We see him stand up for him, and it costs him something. He gets, he gets some insults hurled at him as well in the process of doing that. And then at the end of the book, in chapter 19, verse 38 through 42, we see him lay it all on the line as he goes with Joseph of Arimathea to get the body of Jesus, to associate himself completely with the, with the crucified Christ, which was political suicide and was suicide for his religious authority as well. He lays it all on the line. He becomes a completely sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. And I think that's evidence of 
another C.S. Lewis illustration where he talks about giving Jesus the master key to your house, to your life, right? Now, we've all probably had somebody over to our house at some point in time. And sometimes if they come sort of uninvited, you might not let them through that threshold. You might not let them into the house at all. You just do your transaction right there on the front doorstep. But if it's somebody that you know, and, and maybe, you know, they, they come by unannounced, but you'll let them into the foyer, you know, but we didn't clean, so you can't really come into the rest of the house. And then you have somebody over for dinner, and now when you have somebody over for dinner, what do you do? You clean, you clean like crazy. You clean the kitchen, you clean the living room, you clean the dining room, you make sure everything looks spick and span, you clean at least one bathroom so that that looks really good too, and, and you kind of hope that they won't go over the bounds, right? And that's what most people you know, are used to. We maybe have some family member and some close friends that we'll invite for a little bit longer and, and maybe they have refrigerator rights where they don't even have to ask. They can go get something to drink or they can go get and make a little sandwich or something like that. And they have a little bit more. And then close, close friends and family members might come and stay in the house for a while. Or we might take somebody into our house. But most of us have that one room, Right? That one room that never really gets cleaned, does it? It's the room that we rat hole everything when company's coming over so that we can get it out of sight, out of mind, and it accumulates there. And if we're not careful, we'll kind of treat Jesus the same way. And we'll keep one little room in the house of our lives that we put a different lock on. We say, don't go in there, Jesus. There's, there's some old garbage in there. There's some old junk in there. I don't want you to see that. It's not presentable. It's not, it's not for company. And yet, we'll never receive the transformation that's available to us, the complete and total transformation into the new creation that God desires us to be unless we turn over the master key of the house to Jesus. And we say, go anywhere. Do anything. If there is something that needs light shined on it, if there is an area where truth needs to come into the equation and light needs to come into the equation. You go in there and you do what needs to be done. And if there are things that you need to haul out and put out in the garbage, you have the, you have the permission to do that. And we come to Jesus and we say, it's all open for you. That's the kind of transformation that we're talking about. That's the kind of relationship that he desires to have with us. And we see the evidence of that taking place in Nicodemus's life over the next few weeks as we continue to move. We're not going to focus on Nicodemus, but I, I think I said something last week. If I didn't, I sure would encourage you to be studying the gospel of John as we walk through this series together. Read a chapter every morning. Or read several paragraphs every morning. And, and don't just stop there. Write about it. Write about what you're seeing, what you're thinking, how it's applying to your lives, what you're learning as we go through this in Scripture. I would encourage all of you to read the first four chapters of John before next week if you haven't done that recently. We're going to look at John 4 next week and interchange there with the women at the well. And so you have opportunity to be studying this and to be seeing this track over time. Because as the light comes into every corner of our lives, then it has an opportunity to start going out from every corner of our lives. And that we become not just recipients of the light, but bearers of the light. And we take that light into the world around us and we begin to be a transformative presence for Christ in the world around us as we take our light into the world and shine it for Jesus. It's much more than a children's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
we, we are meant to be ambassadors. We are meant to be carriers of the light, to take that light into the world. And so where are you in that process? It's a good, a good application question. As you think about this, as you chew on this, as you reflect on this message, perhaps, to ask yourself, where am I in that process? Am I, am I still seeing light coming in? And, and have I opened up every door and every window and allowed Jesus into every corner of my life? And if not, what's preventing his light and his truth from getting into parts of your life? rooms in your life? Is there a moment where you need to hand him the master key and say, go where you need to go, do what you need to do? And the second question might be, if, if you're reasonably sure that you've done that and you've turned life over to him, you've accepted his gift of salvation, you've begun a relationship with him, you're seeking him regularly in his word, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers, then I would ask, well, what's preventing his light from going out from you? Is there anything that's, that's keeping his light hidden? Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Now, the first question might deal with some conviction. There might be some light and some truth that comes into an area of your life and brings com- some conviction. The second one probably has to do with your witness. Is there anything that's inhibiting your witness in this world? Is there anything that's keeping you from being the light where God has placed you, whether we're talking about work or your neighborhood or in your family or in some relationship or something like that. Sometimes it's peer pressure. Nicodemus had to deal with some peer pressure. And I know we have some students in the room here, and you go, and, and peer pressure is a real thing, but it's not something that you check out of as soon as you graduate from high school or college. Peer pressure is a real thing at work. It's a real thing in, in home situations. It's a real thing in families. It's a real thing with neighbors, keeping up with the Joneses and on and on. What are, is there anything that's keeping your light from shining? Is there anything that's keeping you from serving? Anything that's keeping you from contributing, from, from giving, to support the work of God in this world? And if so, bring that to Jesus and ask him to shift your paradigm, to open your mind. That you come to him with that and change that and seek to be transformed by that would put a smile on his face and would bring glory to God through your life. So a couple of final applications here. Obviously, if you're here today and you're checking things out, but you're curious about spiritual things, maybe even convinced that there's really something to this. There's something to this Christianity thing. There's something to this Jesus guy. Then I would encourage you to, to consider moving from being curious or even convinced to making a commitment to receiving his gift of salvation, eternal life to beginning a relationship with him and to seek him daily, to seek to be led by his spirit everywhere you go and everything you do. Or if you've done that, but nobody really knows about it, or you haven't told anybody for a while, I would encourage you to share your faith with somebody this week. Share your faith. Give witness to Jesus. Tell of what he has done in your life. Tell of the change that has come in your life. Or maybe you've never been baptized and and you want to make a public profession of your faith to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I have committed my life to him and I want everyone to know about it. We have a baptism pool over here. We can fill that with with warm water. It's not even going to be cold water. If you'd like to make a public profession of your faith, 
That could be the next step that you take in your relationship with Jesus. Going on record. I remember it was a big deal for me. I, I came up in a, a United Methodist church, and I was sprinkled when I was two and a half years old or whatever. I was a participant. I don't have any memory of it. And then I started to hear about baptism, and I started to hear about, about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a public profession of that faith. And about 14 years ago, Heather and I were baptized together at Highland Park Community Church in Casper, Wyoming. And it was one of the most significant days in my adult life because we came up out of the water and 500 people went nuts. And I was like, I don't know most of those people. I better, I better shape up. <laughs> I, better, I better watch my walk. It really did something to me. And other people have told me they came up out of the water and it was like heaven was rejoicing over them. And they were changed and they were transformed. Not by the act itself, but by what it symbolizes. And so I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized as an adult, to consider, to pray about that, to ask God if that might be one response to this message. However you choose to respond, my prayer is that you're going to respond in faith. That there is something that you've heard today where the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder and said, this is for you, pay attention. And that you would engage God with that. We're going to move to a time of response where you can come forward. You can kneel or sit on one of the altar benches and you can do business with God. If you come to these two center ones, uh, we will leave you to, to do that alone. If you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, go to the outside ones. And somebody will come and put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you and pray for you. Don't leave this place unchanged. You have an opportunity to respond in faith to God. Respond in faith to his word. To have paradigms shifted and to pursue him in a new way. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Once again, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you that it's not enough for us to just go through life unaware of your great love for us, that you came and you intersected our lives and you came that we might have the light of life and that we might know the truth and that the truth would set us free. And so I pray, Lord, that, that the truth, that your truth will set people free today, that your light will enter into dark places and bring healing and bring refreshment and bring uh, your relationship into new parts of people's lives today. I pray, God, that as we come to you and as we come to see you, that by seeing you, we'll see everything in a new light and in a new way. Be with us now as we respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray.